Have you ever felt like you can't help the way you are and you don't like yourself? Today, on The Voice of Prophecy, I'm going to show you there's a good reason for the way you feel. At some point in our study of how the human brain works, we became painfully aware that all this stuff we experience as kids has a real bearing on who we are and how we act and behave as adults. So, for example, if you lived in a hypercritical environment where nothing ever earned your parents' approval and you just couldn't do anything right, that's more likely to make you a little hypersensitive to criticism as an adult or to make you less confident in a situation where you're being scrutinized, like usually happens at work. Or maybe it makes you more critical with your own kids. This is just the way it works. You bring your whole life to every decision you ever make. And sometimes you don't even know why you do the things you do, because you can't possibly remember the events that helped program your brain to be the way it is right now. So there might be things that make you angry or scared, and you don't know why. It doesn't make sense. But somewhere along the way, you were programmed for those responses. Something made your brain fire signals down the same neural pathway over and over and over, making it easier and easier to react the same way to the same situation. Now, for the most part, that's not a bad thing. If you're learning to play the piano, you want your brain to act that way. You want to repeat the same experience again and again until it's second nature. But with your emotions, that kind of programming can actually set you up for trouble. Let's say your mother angered you with something she did years ago. Then decades later, when your wife does something even remotely similar, your brain fires off the same kind of angry response. And here's the problem with it. If your response barely makes sense to you, then imagine how your programmed response might seem to somebody else. You've reacted to the same set of circumstances the same way for years and years and years, so your behavior seems natural to you. But to the other people in the room, you might seem irrational. You see, they don't have the background. They don't have the same kind of programming you do. And something that irritates you to no end might be perfectly enjoyable to everyone else in the room. It's just a matter of conditioning. This is Pavlov's dog salivating when they hear a bell ring, because once upon a time in the distant past, that bell meant dinner time. This is a 15,000-pound elephant who can't break free from a tiny little stake in the ground because that same tiny stake used to hold him down when he was a baby, and now his brain says, look, it's impossible to escape. Of course, in the 21st century, none of this is news. In fact, you're probably wondering, why in the world is he even discussing this stuff? Because everybody knows this. We all know we get conditioned. But what some people don't think about is the way that human decisions can affect the whole human race over time. You see, it's not just our own personal experiences that pile on top of each other. The same thing happens for the whole human race. And that's an important key to understanding some of the biggest themes that show up in Bible prophecy. Here, let me give you an example. In Daniel chapter 7, we have this astonishing prophecy of world empires represented by this series of animals that come up out of the sea. You have a lion, which represents the Babylonian Empire. 
There's a lopsided bear, which represents the Persians. Then you have a leopard, which represents the Greeks. And finally, this ferocious-looking animal that defies all description. And of course, that animal represents the Roman Empire. Bible prophecy gives us four world empires, and if you've never heard anything like this before, it's time to read the book of Daniel, because the details will absolutely blow you away. Honestly, it was actually the book of Daniel that finally convinced me, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that God is real, that there's something more than just the observable universe. You can't read Daniel and just explain it away. Now, the fourth beast in Daniel 7 has ten horns which represent the fragments of the Western Roman Empire after it collapses. It represents the barbarian tribes of Western Europe. And out of those ten horns comes another little horn, which represents a whole lot of trouble for the human race. In fact, it proves to be the same thing as the beast described in Revelation 13. Now, today, I don't have time to identify that little horn or try to pin the tail on the Antichrist. That's actually what our Discover Bible School is for. What I want you to think about today is just this one point. God sets the table for understanding last-day issues by showing us this incredible progression of human empires over hundreds and hundreds of years. And when the beast power, this little horn, finally appears, it's actually described as the product of all those kingdoms. It's like all those kingdoms rolled into one. Just like your life experiences have made you the person you are, all of human history has made this little horn power what it is. This power is the grand climax of human rebellion against God. Here, let let me show you from the book of Revelation. If you read chapter 13 of Revelation, right after you read Daniel 7, it is obvious that Daniel and John are talking about the very same thing. But where Daniel sees four separate animals coming up out of the water, John sees the same four animals, but they're all lumped into one being. Now, here it is, Revelation 13, verse 2. John is speaking. He says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, you'll notice, it's the same four animals described in Daniel 7, a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a dragon. But instead of showing us a bunch of kingdoms that follow each other, now these same animals are being used to represent the ultimate product of all human kingdoms, the beast of Revelation. It's this blasphemous religious and political power that exerts itself over the whole human race. In the book of Daniel, we see these human kingdoms rise and fall until they produce the little horn. But in Revelation, we see that same little horn power being described as a conglomeration, a mashup of all those empires. This final beast is part Babylonian, part Persian, part Macedonian, and part Roman. And it's entirely human. It's almost as if all those other kingdoms were just test runs, laboratories for the final crisis. And right after we take a short break, I'm going to come back and unpack that idea just a little bit more for you. So don't you go away. This might actually prove to be really important for your life. Life and its daily challenges can weigh us down, even when we have the best of intentions, leaving us with more questions than answers. Is it possible to have true peace and happiness in life? Are you searching for answers to this and other of life's most challenging questions? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. 
Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online or on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like The Secret of Happiness and Is God Fair? You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. And we're back from the break. I'm Sean Boonstra. You are listening to The Voice of Prophecy. And today we're talking about the way that thought patterns and behavior actually accumulate over time to create the way people and organizations behave later on in life. It's true for individuals, and it's true for the human race as a whole. You can see it in the way that different cultures react to the same event in different ways. So, for example, one culture thinks that whistling while you work is a sign of a sunny disposition. But another culture thinks that whistling, especially indoors, is a sign that you are a troublemaker. Now, how do I know that? Well, it actually happened to me in Eastern Europe. I was whistling in an auditorium as I set up, and someone told me, hey, stop that, because, and I quote, only a playboy whistles inside. Now, why do they believe that? I haven't got a clue. But something apparently happened in the distant past to make that culture think that way. Different human cultures build up over hundreds and hundreds of years among people who have shared experiences. Let let me give you another example, a far more serious one. The Western world was horrified by what happened on 9-11. We were absolutely outraged. But maybe you noticed that some parts of the world thought the Twin Towers were a cause for celebration. Now, that probably made you angry. I know it made me mad. But you have to ask yourself, why the difference? You and I react differently to the same set of circumstances based on a different set of experiences. And that leads to a different set of values and a different way of reacting. Our behavior is the result of centuries of collective cultural programming. One culture thinks that bullfights are exciting and noble. Another culture thinks they're barbaric and cruel. It all has to do with our programming. So when God shows us the beast of Revelation, he's underscoring a very important point. That beast is the result of thousands of years of human programming. It's the joint product of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and all of Western civilization. Our thoughts and our values get handed down from generation to generation, and eventually they snowball into something really big and really offensive to God. And given the way the Bible talks about how the world wonders after this beast, and given the way Jesus mentions last-day deception over and over and over— It's obvious that you and I are going to have to know our stuff before the final crisis hits. We need to study what the Bible says now about all those different human governments. We need to be grounded in biblical history, or we will not recognize what's going on. History makes a difference. Let me give you an example of how small decisions in the ancient past can have a profound impact on current events. It turns out that way back in the year 630 A.D., there was this small city in Saudi Arabia that refused to acknowledge the authority of the Prophet Muhammad. They did not want to become Muslim. 
So, of course, that irritated the prophet to no end. And because it was his mission to bring Islam to the world, eventually he laid siege to that city. And at one point, the prophet's men were faced with making a very serious decision. Should they use weapons of mass destruction? Should they use catapults to defeat the city? They knew that if they did, innocent women and children would die. But if they didn't, they might not win because that city was determined to hold out. So they debated it. And in the end, they decided that collateral damage was permissible if it achieved the greater good. And the greater good, of course, was the spread of Islam. So they used the catapults. Now, go forward some 1,400 years and you've got Al-Qaeda, another group that wants to spread their religious values to the whole world. According to some modern historians, Al-Qaeda actually debated whether or not they should fly airplanes into the World Trade Center because they knew that thousands of innocent non-combatants would die. Now, personally, I do take some comfort in knowing that at least they had that debate. At least they had some inkling of conscience. But of course, we know what happened. They decided to do it. They decided to kill thousands. Why? Because Muhammad allowed the use of catapults back in 630 A.D. They used an ancient precedent to make the decision. And you and I do the same thing all the time. We dig into the past, either consciously or subconsciously, and we form opinions and make decisions based on the data that we find in our memory banks. And if you make a long string of bad decisions, if you're used to doing the wrong thing, eventually it gets easier to do it. Because the human brain loves a well-worn path. When the Babylonians were successful in promoting their own glory and demanding the tribute of conquered subjects, it was only natural that succeeding empires would do the same thing. So, to some extent, the Persians learned from the Babylonians, and the Greeks learned from the Persians, and the Romans learned from the Greeks, and so on, until one day you get this beast power who knows all the tricks of the trade. It has the pomp and pride of a Babylonian king. It has the thirst for power that made Persian kings refer to themselves as king of kings. It has the philosophical leanings of pagan Greeks and the political tactics of a Roman senator. The beast power is every attempt at human government, every expression of human self-sufficiency, all rolled into one. It is the height of human rebellion, the end product of our human insistence that we can live without God. The beast is the ultimate expression of human pride and self-worship. What the Bible is describing is the final product of a world that chooses to listen to the whispers of a serpent. And that's the reason the Bible says this beast who crawls up from the sea gets its authority from the dragon. This beast is really bad news. And the Bible gives us a vivid portrayal. It describes it over and over because God wants you to recognize this thing for what it is. If anyone has an ear, God says, let them hear. And if you keep reading into Revelation 14, the Bible describes a group of people who don't fall for it. They don't give tribute to the beast. Instead, they stand on Mount Zion with the Lamb of God. And Mount Zion, of course, represents the throne and government of God. These people don't have the name or the number of the beast inscribed in their foreheads. The Bible says they have the name of God written on their foreheads. So what exactly does that mean? Well, back in John chapter 17, Jesus said he came to this earth to show the Father's name to his disciples. 
In the book of Exodus, when God reveals his name to Moses, he describes his character. What you have in the book of Revelation is two groups of people who have been conditioned by their past. One group lives in the world and marinates in human self-determination, and they end up with the name of the beast inscribed on their foreheads. They don't even have to think about it. They're so deeply programmed that their natural reaction is to worship this beast power. But the other group is quite different. They are also the product of conditioning, but according to Revelation 14, these people follow the Lamb of God wherever he goes, and over time the name of the Father is written in their minds. In the words of Paul, they allowed the mind of Christ to overwhelm their own natural tendencies. Now, of course, this isn't what saves them. You can't be saved by your behavior. But and parcel of a relationship with Christ is this idea that spending time with Jesus will change you. It will alter your character. Now, I'm going to take another short break, and then I'm going to tell you about two people in California who discovered something unimaginably horrible about their past, something out of their control, and I don't think you're going to want to miss it. So stick around. I'll be right back. Are you searching for answers to life's most difficult questions? Answers to help you make sense of the things that are happening right now in your life? Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, can God really forgive me? Guilt and shame can be terrible burdens to carry and can leave us wondering if God really can love us and accept us. Are you wondering if there really is a chance for true happiness in this life? If there is a secret to living a happy, contented life in a world of uncertainty? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's most challenging questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. You'll find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? And, From Guilty Sinner to Forgiven Saint. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides as the major themes of the Bible come to life. Begin your journey to discover answers to life's deepest questions and log on today to BibleStudies.com. Welcome back to The Voice of Prophecy. Just before the break, we were talking about the way that human history actually accumulates. And before the final crisis, there will only be two groups of people. You've got one group described in Revelation 13, and those people worship the beast because they're completely immersed in the values and thought patterns of a world that has disconnected itself from God. Then you have another group in Revelation 14 that follows the Lamb, and they have the Father's name written in their hearts and minds. Both of these groups are a product of their past. Both groups are the product of long centuries of spiritual conditioning. And the way the Bible describes it, absolutely everybody ends up in one group or the other. There just is no spiritual Switzerland. There is no middle ground. Everybody lands on one side of the fence or the other. And personally, I'm convinced that everybody at some point gets a wake-up call to help them realize they're living in the wrong camp, that there's something seriously deficient about the way they think and behave. 
So with that idea in mind, let me ask you a question that's related to this whole idea that the world's biggest last day problem is the accumulated product of human ideas and values. The idea that human rebellion gets passed down, even amplified from generation to generation. And the question I want to ask is really pretty simple. Does it matter who your dad is? Now, that's a question you might want to ask Matthew Roberts of California or his half-sister, Rebecca Bonyadi. Now, I hope, Rebecca, if you're listening to this, that I didn't butcher your name too badly. Both Rebecca and Matthew are now in their 40s, and both of them at one point didn't know where they came from. They were adopted. So at the age of 15, Rebecca went looking for her father, and she made a pretty horrible discovery. Her dad is Charles Manson. You heard me right. Her dad is Charles Manson. Matthew made the same discovery later in life. It turns out he was conceived at a cult orgy in the late 1960s by Charlie Manson. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would be a pretty bad discovery. All your life, you wonder who your dad is, and maybe you even make up some kind of story about who he might be. You know, some noble fairy tale about why your dad's not in your life. And then you discover your dad's not noble at all. He's one of the most notorious cult killers of all time. Here's what Rebecca told a British newspaper back in 2011, and I quote, When I was in high school, she says, I began to get curious about my background and who my real parents were. But the truth came as a complete shock, and at 15, it was very difficult to deal with. I was hurt and confused, and I didn't understand why nobody had ever told me. Unquote. Now, from the outside looking in, from where I sit, it's not that hard to figure out why nobody told her. I mean, who wants that job, right? Hey, Rebecca, your dad? Yeah, it's Charlie Manson. You know the guy who is serving life for convincing people to write with blood on the living room wall? That guy, that's your dad. Nobody wants to tell a kid that, because that's not the kind of thing a kid's going to want to say when everybody talks about what their dad does for a living, right? What does your dad do? Well, my dad's a cop. My dad's a carpenter. My dad's a dentist. My dad's Charlie Manson. It kind of makes for awkward discussions. Now, imagine with me that you suddenly discover that Charlie is your dad. What kind of things are you going to think about? What kinds of things are you going to worry about after you find out? Even though you might have been raised by somebody else, the big question is, do you have a little Charlie in you? Is nature just as influential as nurture? Of course, neither Matthew nor Rebecca were actually raised by Charlie, so obviously they didn't learn anything from him. But you still have to wonder how much of our makeup comes from our genetic code. That's something you want to know. You're going to be paying attention to see if Charlie's character traits are going to show up in your behavior. Because studies show that genetics do matter. If your biological parents were prone to a certain weakness, there's actually a chance you're going to have to deal with something similar. Now, let's get away from Charlie for a minute because you don't have to be the biological offspring of a monster to suffer the effects of bad DNA. The beast of Revelation is the child of long years of bad spiritual genetics, and the beast's father, according to the Bible, is the dragon himself. The human race, apart from God, continues to pass down rebellious characteristics from generation to generation, so you and I, whether or not we like it, actually inherit a sinful nature. That's the discovery the Apostle Paul made about himself. Even though he said on more than one occasion that he'd been adopted into the family of Christ, he continued to struggle with the sinful nature he inherited simply by being a human being. 
For, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, he says in his letter to the Romans. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Paul wants desperately to be a member of the family of God. But he discovers that he's got this inborn nature that keeps steering him away from doing the right thing. And his struggle, it's so profound that he says in verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, if you and I live long enough, and by that I mean live to be adults, we're going to suddenly discover personality traits we've picked up, and we're not even going to remember where we got them. And I promise you, at some point, you're going to find stuff you don't like, stuff that reveals an ugly tendency and continues to lurk in the dark corners of your heart. Maybe you lie to get out of responsibility. Maybe you lose your temper uncontrollably. You don't know why. Maybe you hate people, or maybe you hate yourself. I promise you, there's going to be something. At some point, your inborn heritage is going to show up. And if you try to tell yourself there's nothing wrong, the Bible says you're being willfully blind. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, it says in 1 John 1, verse 8. Jesus actually had to spell it out for the Pharisees. You are of your father the devil, he said. You and I just can't help it. We're descendants of Adam, the original rebel. And like it or not, you have picked up some of his tendencies. Now, that's bad news because the wages of sin is death, but it is not the end of the story. With God, adoption is a very real possibility. And with God, nurture is eventually going to win out over nature. The Bible guarantees that. But as many as received him, it says in John chapter 1, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Let that sink in. God says he wants you to be part of his family. Who will deliver me from this body of death, Paul asked? I thank God, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The bad news is that you cannot change your spiritual genetics. You can't do it. If you spend your life trying to repair your own soul, fix your own spiritual DNA, well, then your focus is still on you. And self-absorption is the condition that led to our problem in the first place. What you need is Jesus. What you need is complete adoption. Now, you and I might not have Charles Manson for a dad, but honestly, we have a much worse problem. We have the devil himself. But the good news? Through the cross of Christ, you can utterly renounce your citizenship in the kingdom of darkness. And one day soon, you can and will set foot in a kingdom where the father of lies doesn't even exist and not even a trace of his DNA will remain in your system. Because with God, nurture does win over nature. And really, it doesn't get much better than that. I'm Sean Boonstra, and you've been listening to The Voice of Prophecy. Are you searching for answers to life's most challenging questions? Answers to help you make sense of the chaos in today's world. Answers to the deepest questions in life, like, How can I know that Jesus was real? Was he more than a man, and how do I even know the stories of his time on earth are true? How can I know that the Bible is something that I can believe today? And questions like, if the Bible is true, well, what happens next after this life? Is there really a heaven? And in this world of uncertainty, you might be wondering, is there actually a chance for true happiness in this life? 
Disappointments like illness and loss of employment can hang like clouds over our lives. Life's daily routine challenges can be overwhelming, and even the things that once made us happy can begin to seem empty. Is it really possible to have a happy, contented life in such an uncertain world? Well, if you're searching for answers to these and other of life's biggest questions, we are here to help. The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at our toll-free number, 888-456-7933, for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online at our website, BibleStudies.com, or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. At BibleStudies.com, you'll find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life and Does My Life Really Matter to God? Answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides.